Hello, and welcome to the Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Hannah Rogers. My name is Zach Torpy. And I'm Katie Zakreski. Together, we'll guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them, all while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Trust me, it'll be a good time. Yeah, it's a party, so grab your mugs and we'll pour the tea. Start talking about the crawfish. Yeah, okay. I'll st- let me let me talk about some crawfish here. So this is on my radar. Everybody who has listened to the show before or knows me knows that I'm the Catholic conservative on the show. And so I can't eat meat during Fridays, during Lent, and on Ash Wednesday. And so I love me some crawfish. And all my friends have been getting back from Mardi Gras and stuff like that. Well, they let me know that the crawfish situation in Louisiana is horrible right now. Really? Yeah, could not have happened at a worse time in a really Catholic area, you know, right here at Mardi Gras and Lent. And apparently... Fox Business is bending over backwards right now to call it everything but climate change. Yeah, I've got one of their videos up in front of me right now. And the headline is, Weather Impacts Louisiana Crawfish. So they're calling it Weather Impact. Yeah. And essentially, really intense droughts and then really intense periods of flood right afterwards have dried out a lot of the mud holes that crawfish use to to breed, to use as shelter, and it's absolutely destroyed the crawfish industry in Louisiana right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And so you've got a lot of conservative outlets who are doing everything in their power to call it everything but what it is, which is climate change. So I'm going to investigate Crawfishgate a little bit more. Crawfish Gate? <laughs> yeah, we might we might oh, have God. an episode on this in the future, but uh, let's 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 call it Crawfish Gate. I love that <laughs> yeah, so I, much. That's what this episode's gonna yeah, be called. Ladies and ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. Crawfish Gate, Green Tea Party Radio coined it. But uh, you know, that's that's a pretty serious topic. So I wanted to shift gears and talk about something a little more fun tonight. So my fiance and I often take road trips to Tulsa to visit his family and when we're on the road we listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of our favorite podcast episodes are would you rathers because they're real discussion based episodes and we'll pause it after every prompt and we'll kind of discuss it between ourselves and then listen to what the podcast hosts have to say and it's kind of interesting to see how like we line up and disagree with some of our favorite celebrity podcasters so I thought in today's episode we could do something really similar you know spring breaks coming up a lot of people are going to be traveling for Easter I figured, well, what great time to record a Would You Rather episode, but have it be conservative, environmentally themed. So my special assistant, ChatGPT, has helped me formulate a few dozen questions, and I figure we could take turns asking each other and discussing what we would rather do as conservative environmentalists, given whatever the prompt says. Okay, so I'm going to start with the first one. When choosing a product, would you, Katie and Zach, and also our listeners, prefer those with minimal packaging to reduce waste or support companies investing in biodegradable packaging? Which one? Okay. That's actually a really good question. I actually am going to have to have a second to think about that. I used to work at Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble. Yeah, man, it was beautiful pre-COVID days. We've since entered the dark ages. However... 
I know that a lot of their stuff, j just by nature of like what they sold, a lot of paper stuff and drinks, things of that nature. Whenever it was like in minimal packaging, you were going to get something damaged. Like guaranteed, you were going to get something damaged. Oh yeah, and and I could get it like being minimalist. You didn't want to have an excess amount of plastic wrap on it. You you preferred paper wrap instead or anything like that. But it would almost always there'd be a good amount of product that was damaged. So a lot of people just kind of switched to buying things from companies that were like, hey, for every dollar we make, we we give like whatever in this country. And I was like, okay, that seems probably shouldn't as a, as a conservative trust what this big company is saying, but I'm going to put good faith in what they are saying and investing in biodegradable packaging and in communities that need assistance through things like that. So I, I'm going to go with companies that invest in biodegradable packaging. As of now, I think I would lean towards the, uh, the middle of packaging just because I don't know. I don't, I don't buy things that are get damaged easily. Like I buy like things to repair my couch, like wood and. <laughs> oh, and fair. Yeah, you're not metal. buying like like things that are going to get destroyed. Yeah. Like you're buying like like things that are going to be pretty hard to destroy, no matter what you put it in. <laughs> and they still come completely package wrapped. Like I got like feet for the, my couch, and they came plastic wrapped. I'm like, this one, this seems unnecessary. <laughs> this is a piece of yeah, wood. Yeah, it's like when it's Amazon will damaged. like put like a keychain in like a box like the size of your house, and it's like, dude, really? Is that <laughs> was that necessary? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I wish. That that was an op. Now I I know that Amazon has the bundle to reduce packaging, and I'm like, no, I want it now. So I'm <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty guilty of that. But if it was I know like, even yeah, but but at the same time, if it was like we are going to put whatever it is in an appropriately sized package, so you don't have to feel like you have to delay your order. I'd feel a little bit better about that too. It's like <laughs> oh if you don't pick gosh. this, to, we're going to make sure you know it. I'm also I not mean, confident in biodegradable yet, but in the future, I think it could develop. Mm. I think like yeah, all the mushroom yeah, yeah. things, mushroom growing, like fake styrofoam. That's oh a cool gosh. concept to That's me. That's cool stuff. Yeah, I 100% think that there's a lot of room for innovation here mm -hmm. with the, like you're saying, Zach, with the biodegradable packaging. But have you guys ever seen like bananas that are packaged or like pre-cut fruit that's packaged when you go to the grocery store and you just like want to... I don't know, throw something at whoever did that. Like, you'll be like, pre-cut watermelon. It's like, I'm, watermelon yeah, already has a package. It's called its own peel, you know? Yes. So I feel yeah, like that's, that's the I one thing. like peak American laziness. Like, I couldn't even be bothered to, to peel my own banana. Like, please, <laughs> please destroy a whole rainforest so I don't have to peel my banana. Like, come on. Oh, yeah. I know exactly. It's like, come on, Peter. I don't. I don't want to see. Bananas. I don't want to see what your house looks like if you can't even peel your own banana, dude. I don't want to know. Yeah. Okay, Katie, you want to do the next one? I sure can. Speaking of innovation, would you guys rather promote traditional conservation practices or explore innovative technological solutions for environmental change? So, would you rather continue with the the, the citizens first ideology and the forest management policy, or would you rather explore potential for technological solutions to environmental challenges? Oh my gosh. That's actually a hard question. I would say one of those probably, I, wish, I wish there was a both option. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would say both in terms uh -huh. of like innovation to solve like we're talking about like biodegradable packaging and stuff like that. I think that's really important. But if one comes to like 
traditional conservation. I would just, I'm thinking more like nature-based solutions and indigenous knowledge and stuff like that, like conservation practices that have been tried and true. Don't vary from those. We don't need to manipulate the environment any more than we have. Like just stick with what we know is for, is for certain tried and true and good. And I guess like innovating out of like our heavy polluting. Mm -hmm. Zach, what are your thoughts? What'd you say, Zach? I would lean towards the traditional conservative approaches because it's just like you go through the usually like the indigenous, the traditional ways that people like restored areas, restored land, like they're, what they're doing in the um, the Great Green Wall in Africa, where they're just building like forest gardens and building like dig, building buns into the ground, which is like a half moon circle in the ground that allows like water to accumulate and like s- saturates the soil so you can grow food there then. Like these are traditional things that you can just do anywhere to like transform land and like it doesn't cost you money it's free to dig a hole and these are just things you can implement like to better to stop desertification desertification in different areas there's lots of situations where you can do this like permaculture and being more self-sufficient but the technology is nice when it comes along (laughs) just a little price what do you think katie I really wrestled with this one because I was like, man, if it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Then I was like, man, I don't know if like traditional forestry management is going to be good enough for how bad we've goofed. Like, like I, I almost feel like we're going to need innovative solutions for how big of a goof we've created. But then I was like, we've okay. goofed it. Yeah. We, we've really goofed <laughs> it like beyond just going outside and picking up trash. Like I don't think, that there might have been a point 60 years ago where that was a viable solution, but I don't know that that's going to be good enough. So now I'm wondering, and so, so even as I look at the wording now, I'm like, okay, promoting traditional conservation practices. So does that imply that people just don't know they exist? And I assume that, you know, being a small government conservative who values the free market and the innovation that comes from it, that's going to happen anyway. I'm going to go ahead and go with explore innovative technological solutions just because I think that we're going to need something that innovative that matches the scale of how badly we've goofed it if we really want to fix things. The breakthrough frost fight that we're waiting for just right. around the corner. I'm waiting on I it. Actually, I actually, I 100% agree with what you're saying, Katie. Some of the things that we're doing have not been working at all. Right. And I, I fear the, the falling into the trap of, oh, well, if I just do this, it'll fix the hole in the ozone. I don't, I don't think that's gonna, I don't think that's gonna work anymore. <laughs> I don't think that forest manage, forestry management is gonna, not that those things aren't important. I just don't know that it's going to have an impact on the scale of what we need. So I'm going to go with innovative solutions. Okay, Zach. Absolutely. Your turn. All right. I love, I, I just want to say, I love this next question. I just read it and I am so excited to see what y'all say for this one. If you were the president of the United States and only had the budget for one, would you rather use only solar power or nuclear energy? Oh, ah, definitely nuclear. Easy, easy money on that one. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that too. I, 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 at first, I, you know, and, and then my concern is, are people going to pull nimbyism the whole, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. But don't do it in my backyard. Don't do it in my state. Mm, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Like, like so, so what is, yeah. So like, I feel like solar power can be more widely used and, mm-hmm. and a like lot on people's of, roofs. Yeah. And like, even a, a lot of conservatives are already using solar power. 
Whereas a lot of the mm-hmm. conservatives who are a little bit iffy on climate change who use solar power are like, dude, I don't want to live anywhere near a nuclear power plant. <laughs> Not all of them, mm-hmm. but a lot of them are like, I don't know about that. Well, this is what I'll say is I think if you want to do rooftop solar, mm-hmm. you should pay for it, right? I think there should be tax incentives there and stuff like that. But I definitely think in terms of like transforming like municipal scale electrical mm-hmm. generation, I think mm. that nuclear power is the way to go just in terms yeah. of it, environmentalism, in terms of how efficient it is, in terms of how available it is. I would definitely go with nuclear because if we're just going to invest really like the sun is not going to be shining at night and most of the country is going to be, you know, at nighttime altogether. So if you're only investing in solar energy, like are you also investing in battery technology and then you get into cobalt and I just like you right there, you know, and lithium. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really just a big fan of like the consistent, super energy efficient one that we, you know, apparently we've been using uranium to build bombs for a long time, but I don't know why we don't use it to transform our environment and our lives. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I realized this, I, when I lobbied here, well, I guess it was a year ago. It feels like it might as well have been a thousand. But when I lobbied a year ago, a lot of conservatives and Congress were like, yeah, solar is good, but we're not doing anything to improve it. Cause we just say, Oh, well it's better by default because it's not coal or, or, or gas or, oil but we're not doing anything to make it more efficient than it currently is to have the grids absorb more wattage per square inch than it currently does because we're just tickled that it's not dirty i was Mm -hmm. like i had never thought of that like there's not like the the push is to get solar but the push is not to improve solar so Mm. if you if you had the budget and you could only implement solar, okay, well, you would reach a point where you would need to make it more efficient. And that's not even touching on how many of the dirty processes you have to go through to get the raw materials <laughs> to, to, to implement a nationwide solar power plan. So I think you're right, Hannah. Like, you're going to get more bang for your buck with nuclear energy in terms of, you know, it's mm-hmm. just gonna, and then you could you've got the added incentive of oh, and also if you want to do solar power, that that's there too. You can do that, but we've already got the, the nuclear energy system going on. So yeah, okay, interesting. Zach, what are your thoughts? I think this sort of uh, avoids the this takes out the major question with nuclear because mm-hmm. it's like the price point. Mm-hmm. It's like if you have enough money to go hundred percent nuclear, like that's great, but like. 100% nuclear versus 100%, 100% solar is a quite a different price point you're looking at because nuclear is much, much, much more expensive than solar mm-hmm. to implement. That's interesting because the question is also if you only had the budget for one. So does that imply that we're operating with a budget large enough to consider nuclear energy and what happens to the rest of the budget if we pick solar? Like what, mm. <laughs> what, does, what, does, yeah. what happens to the money then? Yeah, like hundred percent solar is probably like forty percent to thirty percent the cost of one hundred percent nuclear. Mm. So it's it's a tough decision there. But I, well, I don't know. It's, this is a one where I like to split the baby. <laughs> right. Well, and it's. I also have to wonder about like the national security implications of going completely nuclear as well, because I I know that that has been a topic of controversy within the last what two years. Um, now you just have hundreds of targets. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so like, if somebody like Russia was to, like, orchestrate a flyover of some sort, eh, that's not a good position to be in if you've got a few dozen nuclear reactors all over your your very large country. Um, I'd, I'd be more worried about so it. right, Katie. About <laughs> coding like, a ransomware breakdown. Yeah, and that's not even, like, going into what happens if there's an earthquake or, like, Mount St. Helen or something erupts. Like, we would have to really strategically figure out Okay, where where is a good place to? They're not solar panels are not as likely to blow up, <laughs> and I think they'd be cheaper to replace. So I think there's also a security issue on that one too. Ooh, all right, okay. Well, I don't know what to answer now. I think I've talked myself almost out of, <laughs> out of my answer yeah. now that I've thought that out loud. Okay, well, I think I'm going to call that one a draw. If I'm, if I'm being honest. yeah, that's a that's a pretty that's a serious draw. Yeah. On okay. to the next one. All right. You know what? I'm going to choose one at random. How about Ooh, that? Do it. Do it. Yes. I'm looking through my favorite one. Actually, this is not that random. <laughs> oh, okay. Would you rather cre- cre- would you rather support the creation of green jobs or advocate for policies that limit industrial activities to protect the environment? Ooh, <laughs> that's actually a really good one. I feel like that is a good one. Okay, so I, okay, as a conservative and in this economy, I'm gonna go for job creation, just because I know that might that might cast the widest net for conservatives. Because a lot of conservatives are like, well, we need both. Like, we can't just shut off oil and gas and coal tomorrow and transition to solar and wind and nuclear like we're gonna have to gradually phase one out and go to the other so for me that it seems like creating green jobs are going to be the easiest way to facilitate that shift from one to the other by convincing conservatives okay the job opportunity is there like you're not just taking a huge economic gamble like you might have grown up doing coal work but your kids have the opportunity to grow up and take this green job oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go with the green jobs on that one unless one of y'all can convince me otherwise I would I would also go with green jobs. It's it seems like a win win for me just cuz once you get more green jobs, you have more people buying into the the green economy and then you also have these people become more environmentally focused like, "Oh, this is a good solar job. I want to yeah. keep supporting mm-hmm. policies that support Impact. this." Yeah. Yeah, just like it's a positive um reinforcement cycle. Yes, I, absolutely. I, yeah. Go ahead, Hannah. I was going to say, this one is not really a split the baby one because I think that <laughs> same exact thing. Like if you are, you think about like people who are work creatively, like they have creative jobs, they're going to be creative in every other aspect of their life or an analytical job. They're going to be analytical in every other job part of their life. If they are in a green job, they might be conservation and environmentally oriented in every other aspect of their life. So it kind of has a ripple effect that I think is super important. And also that is the biggest excuse that industry gives all the time whenever we're talking about making transition is they're like well there's not enough green jobs and you know people's livelihoods depends on us as an industry existing and it's like right the, the well, card. <laughs> yes and it's like well you know what if we have green jobs and we'd have an alternative to these highly polluting jobs they can't pull that card anymore well and then part of me thinks that if you have the creation of green, green jobs you're because of the way the market works going to end up phasing out those industries anyway. So you wouldn't really need to advocate because they would just eventually phase out. 
Like, I don't know what the appeal would be to continue those industries if you've got a growing green job sector. Like, I don't know, like, like you're, it's diminishing returns. <laughs> there's, there's no reason. Okay. Would you rather only travel by bike or only travel by electric vehicle? I think that, you know, living slowly is facilitated by biking. And I also think that biking is a great way to meet people. It's really hard to like meet people when you're driving. You're not going to like, you know, be rolling down your window at the stop sign and being like, Hey, <laughs> you're right next right. to me. But if you're biking, right. it's really easy to just like look over and talk to someone. I think that's really great for community spaces. Mm-hmm. And I also think another part about biking is like our cities and our urban planning will get closer together because people are not going to want to bike, you know, 20, 30 miles because we're not going to be living in a car centric society anymore. We'd be living in a bike centric society like Amsterdam and you just meet more people that way. You'd be closer together. It would just induce walkability as well. What do you think guys? I would like biking. I think it would be awesome to be able to bike to work, but I currently live like a 45 minute drive from my job across like two highways and I don't think I can get there by bike. I'd probably die. So I probably need to be EV, but man, being in a city like Amsterdam where you could bike to work, bike to groceries, bike to everywhere. And it's just easy. And like there's pike, there's parking for bikes. Like, like they have underground parking for your bikes. <laughs> I mean, my bike got stolen last year. Oh no. That dude, that is like yeah. the lowest of the low when somebody steals a bike. Like really, this is not like, this is somebody who doesn't even have a car and you're going to steal from them. Like not to sound like that person, but like half the time it's a kid's bike. Like, dude, how bad off do you got to be to like ride around some girl, some like little pink girl bike? Like, come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was like a really expensive mountain bike. And so I was like, I mean, I get it. I would steal that bike too. It could have been anybody in Utah because that's like a huge hobby there, right? Mountain biking. Yeah, especially in my neighborhood. My neighborhood is like very mountain bike oriented. I mountain bike pretty often. So got stolen. It was pretty sad. Anyways, sidetracking. Okay, what about Katie? What would you do? Mountain biking or driving cars? I'm screwed either way because I live in the South. Um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no chargers, uh, no bike lanes. Yeah, there's no chargers, and you're gonna be riding your bike for like half a day to get where you need to go. Oh. So well, I, I'm gonna go ahead and take a gamble though, and just say electric vehicle. I already have pretty incredible calves from carrying the rest of my enormous body around. Plus, if I can just make it to like the other big cities throughout the South, I should be fine. But I think both of these are gonna be a little problematic at, at, as of 2024, the year of our Lord. And oh, yeah. here in the south, <laughs> but things can change. Things can change. I hope so. I, I've started to see more chargers around town, so I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that that's promising. All right. When it comes to wildlife preservation, do you prefer focusing on habitat restoration or spe- species-specific conservation efforts? Ooh, oh, habitat restoration. Yeah, I think so. I think so too, because I think that. Yeah, because I think my issue with if it was like species specific, and I think that this is one of the most like popular complaints when it comes to species conservation. People are like, man, people always want to talk about polar bears and penguins, but they don't want to talk about like the golden toad and all these other not marketable plushy quality animals. 
that are also important to the environment. So I feel like just to avoid that, just do the whole habitat. <laughs> I think that'll yes. be more beneficial in the long run for, for that entire ecosystem and the mm-hmm. community around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally know what you're, you're talking about. Like for me, I think a lot about some of the biogeography classes I've taken where they're so against charismatic species conservation. Because here's one thing. Guess how we raise money for species conservation. Guess what we plushies. do? Marketable plushies. Marketable plushies. So, Zeus? we take... Oh. <laughs> Zach, you're opening up a whole can of worms here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We create the, the, the plush. We take the oil out of the ground. We dye it up and we mix it with all these toxic chemicals and we stuff it. You know, we turn it into like a polyester fabric and then we stuff it with more polyester. And the emissions produced by those plushies is enormous. And second of all, where does that plushie go? I've got so many plushies. Don't tell me me that. Oh, no. (laughs) Eco-terrorist plushies. Oh, no. No, no, it's not saying, oh, you should feel bad about your plushies, obviously. What I'm saying is Mm. it's kind of ironic that you would create a product that's harmful for the environment in order to save an animal species that is threatened by... The products that are harming the environment, if that makes sense. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, now you've scratched the itch in my brain that is like, I wonder if there's a plushie that I can buy to combat non-environmentally friendly plushies. So, <laughs> oh, uh, Lord. We'll make one. We'll make one. Conservation green tea party product. <laughs> yeah, green tea party plushie. Environmentally friendly plushies. And, and it, it just, like, disintegrates in water after a certain point. <laughs> Don't get it wet. <laughs> It's like a cardboard straw. <laughs> That's too funny. Okay. Okay, so would you rather focus on educating communities about environmental issues or actively engaging in environmental activism? What do you think? I'm going to say education. I guess they're both environmental activism though, right? That's true. I guess one is like writing a letter to the editor and one is like letting your community know about the impact of rewiring their neighborhood and planting trees. I'm going to go with education. Cause I feel like that's the biggest hurdle you encounter when you do climate work, people not knowing what specifically climate change is, who's responsible for climate change and what you can do to combat climate change. I think a lot of people, think that just posting a green square on Instagram cures climate change. Not the green square. Yeah, not Not the the multicolored squares. I think that education is the biggest issue that a lot of climate advocates face. So I would probably spend more time and effort on that. Yeah, I think think educating would be my route. Just it really is teaching people and getting them engaged with the environment, learning about why they should care and why it's important. And then the activism will come after that, sort of like yeah, I, I assume it's like the a ground effect. Like if you teach people, they're going to go be activists. Yeah, you teach so. thirty people, maybe three people will be like will become very interested in the environment and become activists. Maybe with five, people will become somewhat more interested and like care more about what they do. It's, mm-hmm. I agree. What do you think, Hannah? I definitely. Hmm, I would probably say the education route, just because. Mm-hmm. I feel like the connotations of environmental activism is not always the most positive, if that makes sense, at least in my opinion. 
I think of like environmental activists, I think about like, you know, Greenpeace and other people who were really effective and incredible. But then I also think about the people who glued themselves to the wall and throw soup, soup on stuff. the paintings. Yeah. And I'm like, oh no, uh, I don't yeah. want to be that That's person. That's true. You, you get the good and the bad when you say activism. Whereas if you're educating yeah. people, it's hopefully rooted in It's fact. usually always positive. So I feel like if I am going to be an activist, I do want to be an activist that is effective and isn't just throwing soup on things. But if I, I, I would prefer education because I have actually, you know, given seminars and all that kind of stuff on environmentalism, on climate. And I love the questions and I love talking to people. So honestly, another part of this is I also think it depends on your personality. So mm-hmm. do whatever means the most, makes the most, makes most sense for you. I don't think either or is more effective. I just definitely think my personality meshes well with the education. Doing something is better than doing nothing. So, exactly. As long as that something is productive, don't don't throw soup at stuff. What? Uh, You don't want to throw soup on (laughs) stuff? I'm being sarcastic. I just remember seeing that on the news and scratching my head and being like, "What the heck are they doing?" I I even said, "Like, what is the connection? Like, like how? how, What is the connection here?" I didn't. How to make everyone eat? Time of day, so yeah, exactly, exactly. How to make everyone hate you in one easy step? <laughs> Actually, oh, and waste food when people impacted by climate change are already food insecure. Great move, gang. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just it's the irony is 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 blaring, and I think people know about it. And then they went and bought an eight dollar coffee afterwards. Great. <laughs> no, not the eight dollar coffee. Mm-hmm. When considering water conservation, would you prioritize personal water saving habits or support policies promoting water efficient use? Hmm. Ooh, well, I like long showers. So that's a hard question. I know. I was just about <laughs> to say somebody takes the two hour shower. I would actually say support policies promoting efficient water use because one thing people don't know is that municipal water use is a really small fraction of the water use. Most of it is like agriculture and industry. And so I feel like the overemphasis on individual responsibility is, you know, I think people should be accountable for their actions, obviously. But I also think that, you know, my contribution to the water problem by taking a 30 minute shower versus a 25 minute shower is much smaller than like here in Utah, we have farmers who are the primary problem of the water conservation issue because they're growing crops like alfalfa. They're super water intensive in the desert. So I just think, you know, having a better management of the hydrologic system as a whole is more important than individual responsibility. What do you think, Katie? So I'm in a a strange position again. I almost feel like it should vary state by state. And I say that because Arkansas is the natural state and we have never, ever, and and maybe I'm just like fortunate to not understand this. We have never had a water conservation issue because we have a ton of water and wildlife. Like there has never been a don't water your grass mandate or anything like that. Like, like we kind of laugh when we hear that because we're like, that's a Western thing. Because that has, like, never been an issue here in the southeast. Like, there is always what seems to be an abundance of water. And, of course, you've got a, a ton of rural agriculture here. So I almost feel like it's, it's smarter to tell people, at least here, be mindful of personal water-saving habits. More so in terms of, like, the urban, don't leave the water running for 30 minutes. You know, like, 
don't take a four hour shower. If you're going to brush your teeth, turn the water off while you're brushing, like, like, like things like that. Cause I don't know that, that we're impacted in a, in a water conservation way that would mandate like a policy <laughs> promoting statewide efficient water use. I think it like, cause it seems like people already have a really good grasp of how to do that. The biggest industry that, that would impact and that's agriculture. So it might just be worth having like, a personal education water saving habit campaign. That's like, okay, what, what, what can you do that costs you nothing that would just be like five or 10 minutes of your time every day. So I almost want to go with that, but I, my, my caveat is going to be, it should vary from state to state. Yeah. You have a very different experience from me. Sure, yes. Southwest where we're yes. always basically in a drought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, and like that blows my mind every time that I hear like the mandate of like, Oh, you shouldn't be watering your lawn right now. And like everybody in Arkansas is like, what cranks up water. So I'll tell you something about, so I work for a water municipality. So water rights are like a major concentration for us and like where we get our water from and how we get them. So Hannah made a very good point of like going to the farmers and help, like helping them be, use water more efficiently. Cause like in most of the Southwest, they just use like flood irrigation, whereas like they just dump water over their entire field or just like, like runs row to row. And that's like the least efficient way you could water your plants, your crops. But we do so that here sometimes too. That, yeah. It's all over the Southwest. That's like the main way that we water here, but play, the use of like drip irrigation, like they do in like Israel and like, other desert areas to like really save on water has been, it's like 90% efficient in using water. And my city actually made a contract with farmers in the Southwest of Colorado or Southeast of Colorado to buy them like drip irrigation. And basically we get their water rights once after we save them water. So then we have more water for our city and we've made them more efficient while growing the same amount of crops. Yeah, I was just going to ask about water rights because I like just from reading some stuff from like Southwest publications to kind of figure out more about water rights and things like that. It seems like there's been a lot of dispute in the last couple decades on who owns water. Like if, if you've got running water on your land, who owns the water? Does anybody own the water? Like, no, can you like <laughs> commodify <laughs> the water? So, All the uh, water is accounted for. It is everyone. It is owned right. and it is fought for. It is very legal and contentious here. Which is just like crazy for for me to hear uh, somebody. And sorry, my cat is so loud here in the background. I guess he knows I'm recording. Somebody who lives here in the South, where that's just like not an issue. Like like use rainwater. I think don't quote me on that. Don't go do it and then say I told you to. But it's just, it's like not an issue here. So it's always been so baffling to me, like even growing up, like reading stuff about uh, water bands and things like that in California and in the Southwest where I'm like, man, I'm so glad it's lush and green and <laughs> humid here. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and I hope it got you talking and thinking about some of the environmental positions that you might take. And fortunately, life isn't as black and white as a version of Would You Rather. And environmentalism isn't either or. You can do any of these things. So hopefully this game also gave you an idea of all the different ways that you can get involved in your local community by helping your environment. 
Again, we always say this every episode, but please write your member of Congress as a constituent concerned about climate change. So go to house.gov and enter your zip code to find your member of Congress in the House Representatives. Go to senate.gov and click on your senators, then select your state to find your members of Congress. And if you want to, please snap a picture of you doing this and submit it to info at greenteapartyradio.com and we'll feature you on the show. You can tweet us at GTP Radio Show and tell us how you navigate political discussions. For you, our listener, email us with your thoughts. Our email is info at greenteapartyradio.com. And thank you so much again for listening to Green Tea Party Radio. And a very special thank you to all of our patrons. We really couldn't do this without you. If you're interested in getting early access to episodes, as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And just so you know, this is our passion project. We don't have any organizational sponsor. Also, a friendly reminder that Green Tea Party Radio is not representative of the Diocese of Little Rock, Catholic Climate Covenant, or any of our employers. We're just a fun group of kids. Kids, I say it like we're not all in our 20s. We're just a fun group of young adults. We can still be kids. (laughs) Young adult conservative environmentalists who want to let you know that there is stuff out there for people like you. We're building a movement because we want the world to know that conservatives have important things to say about climate change. We have many important things to say about climate change. Oh, a lot of important things to say about climate change. Mm -hmm. All right, that was a fun episode. Thanks for listening, guys. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. 